I worked for this river cruise company. I went to 10 different countries with them. That was the most incredible experience because for the first time in my life, I was like, wow, people can get paid to do this. They can get paid to see new places and document them. From that point on, something clicked in my brain that I was like, okay, I need to make this my career. I wanted to do this, I wanted to learn this, I wanted to do that, but I just never had time. It's a term bucket list. It's an English term that I didn't grow up with. Then, you know, I was like, what's the point of making all this list and that I am never going to do? At the moment, I decided to change everything and I actually do the things on the list called bucket list. My name is Kelly Edwards and this is Let's Go Together, a podcast from Travel and Leisure. Our show is all about the ways travel connects us and what happens when you don't let anything stop you from seeing the world. If you're like me, you've got a bucket list too. And no matter what your situation is now, you're raring to check out every destination you can. My guests today are two globetrotters who found a way to make exploring the world a full-time job. My name is Christina Guan and I'm a Chinese-Canadian travel blogger currently based in Munich, Germany. My name is Juno Kim. I'm a Korean travel blogger currently living in Anchorage, Alaska. Christina grew up outside Vancouver as the daughter of protective Chinese immigrant parents. A backpacking trip as a young adult helped her grow up and get out of her comfort zone. And on her blog, Happy to Wander, she inspires people of all ages to travel with confidence. Juno was born and raised in Korea. She built a successful career in engineering before she decided to hit the road and follow her dreams. She writes about her adventures in English and Korean on her blog, Runaway Juno. When they started sharing their stories online, Christina and Juno both noticed a lack of Asian voices in the travel space. But they say that's starting to change. I talked to them about the need for diverse representation, dealing with racism and stereotypes about Asian travelers and their favorite destinations around the world. You both have such fascinating stories. Tell me how you each caught the travel bug and what brought you where you are today. I think my first big international trip was when my mom took me to Hong Kong and China to visit relatives when I was 10. I was just so fascinated with visiting new places that didn't look anything like where I came from. Ever since then, I've just loved travel. And even when I went to high school and university, I always slept with these stolen postcards, basically, that I took off Google Images and printed on my parents' computer. <laughs> um, I slept with those postcards above my bed because I was just so fascinated with all these incredible places that I'd seen in textbooks, seen in movies and TV shows. Growing up in a very conservative household in Korea, I'd never really thought travel could be a career because it was never apparent. But when I was little, my dad would take us to hiking a lot. So we would go a lot of hikings and mountains and small family trips inside of Korea. When I was in college, I studied mechanical engineering and it it was enjoyable but very hard. So I decided to go ear off, which was very unconventional at the time, like nobody was doing it. And I saved money and then I went for a backpacking trip to New Zealand. And that was back in 2004. I barely spoke English. I had my dictionary in my hand and I was alone. Flew from Korea to Auckland. I was surviving with my bit of English, but I just loved everything about it. You've both written a lot about how travel has changed your view of yourself and the world. Juno, you talk about the concept called bucket living. Tell me what you mean by that. 
So that's something I thought about when I was working at an engineering company during the course of very short time that I worked there. So when I first started, I was like, okay, now I have money and um, I can go vacations, but I never had time. Like engineering, it just, you'd never have time to do anything. I need to be grateful, having a paycheck, so I should accept it or I need to change everything. At the moment, I decided to change everything and I actually do the things on the list called bucket list. So I want to live off of that list. And that's where I came up with the term bucket living. That's what I've been doing ever since, mostly. I love it. I love it. Christina, uh, on your blog, you state that your goal is to inspire scaredy cats like me to see the world. Tell me about that. In what way were you or are you a scaredy cat? And how have you broken out of that? When I went backpacking in 2015, that was like the first trip I ever did independently. Well, I went with a friend, but the first trip that I did without family or without my parents there. And that was literally the first time I ever swam in the ocean. <laughs> it was the first time I ever even made a meal by myself because I grew up in a restaurant. My parents, anytime they saw me trying to cook, they would jump in and just do it for me. And so, you know, being away from home for the first time really created this environment where I was able to finally break out of this shell that I didn't even realize I had. And it allowed me to create a better version of myself that was actually capable of doing things for herself. So I guess, you know, the mission of my blog, showing people that they can travel no matter the circumstances. And even if they are scaredy cats, I think it's really just a matter of showing people, okay, you are capable of doing so much more than you realize. And there is so much more to life than you realize as well. It sounds like you lived a very sheltered life. And so for you to go from that aspect to like, screw it, I'm just going to try it all. Like that's extremely admirable. And you, you have to do that to really learn about yourself. I, I love that that's your platform and you're inspiring people. And the fact that you learned to take up cooking, that's still not my forte. So if you invite me over, I'll bring something probably pre-made from a place. It'll be tasty though. <laughs> just bring wine and we're good. <laughs> Got all the wine in the world. <laughs> that's one thing I like to collect when I travel is like, whatever the alcohol is of that place. Along with the fun of travel, there's a whole other level of experience that Juno and Christina have had to deal with. Especially since COVID-19 has changed the way all of us think about travel and other activities we took for granted. After the break, we'll continue with the frank conversation on othering and how much it can hurt. everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. I'm Kelly Edwards, and this is Let's Go Together from Travel and Leisure. My guests, Christina Guan and Juno Kim, are travel bloggers who have found a lot of joy breaking away from a so-called traditional career path. In their travels, though, 
Each of them has encountered attitudes they didn't expect, and in some cases, anti-Asian racism they didn't experience at home. Obviously, Asian is a huge umbrella of people and cultures and identities, and Christina and Juno are both speaking from their own personal experiences. I want to get into some questions around the stereotypes and the representation for Asians in the travel community. Yeah, so Vancouver is an incredibly multicultural city, and the Asian population is about 20%, which is massive. And so I grew up surrounded by people who looked like me, who had a very similar upbringing, and that they were the children of immigrants. That's where Christina was coming from when she heard racism directed at her for the first time. I remember this quite clearly. I was a teenager and I went down to Seattle for a day trip from Vancouver. It's only three hours. And just crossing the border, it was me and two friends and we were walking. And then this guy just shouted, ni hao at us. And that was the first time that ever happened to me. And I thought that was really strange. And that became kind of a recurring microaggression that I would say that myself and a lot of other Asian travelers experience when they're abroad. Juno, what have your experiences been like? So mine could be a little bit different because I'm a Korean person from Korea and I'm living in the United States right now. A lot of things that Christina talked about also, um, I agree with that. And a lot of times what happened during my other travels to many other countries is a lot of travelers just assume I don't speak English or assume I cannot be included in the conversation. So I start talking and they're like, you don't really have an accent, you know, that's what people say. And I could not understand what they meant, like what accent that I should have. And they were expecting this thick Korean accent in my English, I guess. It did not come from a malicious place, but it actually does try to put you in a box. Over the years, uh, I got very aware of these racism issues. I spoke a lot about it and I'm very passionate about it. And during this COVID-19, like, I was watching what things were happening. I was just so angry. Like, everybody was keep saying, Chinese virus, and you should go back to your country. Do not go to Chinatown, you know. And all the Asians were treated terribly around the world. I would say for a lot of Asian travelers traveling for the first time, that really is quite scary because you're put in this position where you are made to feel like the other. And it's very uncomfortable. And um, for me, I've learned to grow a bit of a thicker skin around it. And it doesn't really bother me as much anymore because I remind myself again, it's not usually coming from a malicious place, but it is something that does happen. And I do think it's important to mention that because it's an unfortunate reality of traveling as an Asian person. I can say that I've had similar experiences, you know, as an African-American woman traveling somewhere and a person will just start speaking to me in like slang or I'm like, why are you talking to me like that? Because I'm black. That's what you saw on TV. Like what's going on here? And so it's like sometimes you don't know. It could be a microaggression or it's just a person just trying to greet you. But the, the problem is, is that they don't know off the top. It's a little bit alarming at first. It's like, oh. So you just place me in this bubble automatically just because of what I look like. And, and that's never cool. Sorry, just had to. One microaggression I will never get over is when people ask you where you're from. And if I say Canada, sometimes they just won't believe me or they'll be like, but where are you really from? Or they'll ask a series of, you know, leading questions and kind of like, hey, but what about your parents? Or what about... When people challenge you about where you're from and don't believe that someone who looks like you can be from a place like Canada or from the United States, that's a bit of a problem and it does really make me angry. I'll just be honest. What sucks about the whole racism aspect of it is there were a lot of people who 
were trying to empathize with the racism happening towards Asians around the world, you know, by it being called the Chinese virus and things like that. And I mean, I just have to to admit that, you know, that was something that, you know, it really it really turned me off because I've had a lot of amazing experiences in Asia. I mean, I've been to Hong Kong, I've been to Seoul, Jeju, Thailand, like I lived it up. I've had so many adventures out there and I have had really good experiences. I have to add one thing to this since you mentioned your experience in Asia. As a Korean person, I was visiting a lot of other Asian countries too. So I spent a lot of time in China in a very rural places because I like to go very rural where um, not, you know, not Beijing or Shanghai, but I was in a very deep in Yunnan province for a long time. I would say because people didn't have experience of seeing other type of people in their region. So my boyfriend at the time, so he's a white person. He's Caucasian. So when they see him, it's obvious that, oh, he's not from here. And But they just show him a lot of interest and just kind of being very positive toward him. But when they see, saw me, they could not understand. They could not break out of the, the, you look like Chinese. What do you mean you're not Chinese? You don't speak Chinese. What do you mean? And they see me speaking English. So they are very confused. So I had that experience very early on in my travels that I sometimes call it Asian-Asian racism, that it's because we all grew up in a very homogeneous society. Christina told me her experience traveling in Asia was a bit different from Juno's. So I have to admit my travels in Asia have been quite limited compared to my travels in Europe. Um, I've only been to Asia a handful of times, so I haven't really explored the region as much as I would like. But the few times that I have been, I think my identity has always been a little bit confusing because I'm a bit trapped between two worlds. And I think a lot of children of immigrants will be able to relate to this, where, where you're born into a society where you are... Chinese or you look Chinese and so you have that family background but at the same time where you go to school and the media that you consume is not necessarily Chinese and so for me traveling to Asia really is it's a constant reminder of that because you know I look Asian but I don't necessarily speak Thai or the different Asian languages that they speak in each country. Christina you also wrote about googling Asian travel bloggers one day what came up in the results and how did that make you feel? About a year and a half ago, I wrote an article for a digital magazine called How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. <laughs> so in that article, what I talked a lot about was Asian representation in the travel space, specifically when it comes to travel media. And so as part of the research for this article, I was curious to see what would come up when I Googled, you know, top Asian travel bloggers. And what I found was not great. <laughs> a lot of the articles that came in the first page referred to Asian travel bloggers as essentially, you know, white people or expats who live in Asia and blog about Asia. So very few of the actual results had travel bloggers of Asian descent or from Asia, which I found very disappointing. It was very, very strange, and I was very surprised to see that. But I do have a great optimistic update. Um, so since publishing that article, again, it was a year and a half ago, a lot of new articles have come out about Asian travel bloggers. And so now when you Google that, you don't get the same crappy results that you got a year and a half ago. Plot twist, that's how we found you. <laughs> Wonderful. It got pretty meta pretty quick. <laughs> yes, indeed. Juno, do you have anything to add to that? I really applaud this positive change. Uh, when I first started a long time ago, I was only one known Asian travel blogger or one of only Korean 
people knew. And there are a few other wonderful Asian bloggers that I work with ever since. What do you both think that the travel industry and the travel writing community can do to be more inclusive and representative of Asian travelers? I think that the number one thing is just awareness. So when I first published that article that I wrote, a lot of travel bloggers came to me and they were like, wow, I did not realize that this was an issue. I never realized you felt this way. Do you know, do you have anything to add to that sentiment? Yeah, um, very similar. I agreed what Kristina said, everything. Yeah, awareness is very important. I think it would be very helpful that if everybody's kind of thinking about that you don't need to put people in one box, that we don't need to talk about all the same thing. Different voices can be celebrated and it should be celebrated. If you have somebody from different voice and different background, listen to it. That's exactly why we started this podcast, to hear different voices and different perspectives. And speaking of different, Christina's blog focuses on underrated destinations. That's my jam right there. I'm always looking for travel tips, so I asked her what places off the beaten path I should check out next. If I were to pick like a really awesome, underrated part of Europe, I would say the Balkan countries are incredible. There is so much going on there. If you go to Bulgaria in particular, I love that country so much because there's not a lot of tourists who go there, but their cuisine is incredible. The monuments they have are incredible. The history is fascinating. And I would say Bulgaria is probably my number one like underrated country in Europe, but there are absolutely like gems in every country. Like you just have to dig for them. And I think that's the key. Juno, you've been living in Alaska for a few new years now and as one of my favorite places in the world what are some sites and experiences that people should come to alaska for what are your must do's um one of the main reasons that i decided that alaska should be the place i live now is the alaska native culture the culture here is very strong but it's very easy to go to experience alaska native culture and language and cuisine so I wish people come here and spend more time on learning about the history and the culture of Alaska Native people, that their ingenuity um, and the hardship they had to go through. I encourage everyone, you know, if you have any time, if you want to go to a place where you can get the great outdoors culture outside of your comfort zone and just seeing pristine beauty, like Alaska is where it's at. Do, can you say anything in the in the Inuit language? Uh, Inupiaq language? Um, yes. Uvanga Juno. It means I am Juno. And Koyanakpak is thank you very much. <laughs> I just want to say thank you to both of you. Your experiences are similar yet so different. I really appreciate you both, you know, sharing that with the audience. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was a wonderful. Christina's blog is happytowander.com. Juno's is runawayjuno.com. And that's all for this episode of Let's Go Together, a podcast by travel and leisure. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Susie Armitage, Lena Beck-Sillison, and Cheryl Duvall. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, and on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag. And if you're looking for me, I'm Kelly Set Go Everywhere. And that's Kelly with two E's on the end.